Blog Talk Radio. Grassroots Holistic Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Baba Tahuti Wesley Grace, speaking to you live from New York City. This is Thursday evening, April 17, 2014, at 9 p.m., and it's indeed a pleasure to have you join us again. I give praise to the One Most High, to our ancestors, to my dear wife, to my beloved mother-in-law, to my children, my daughter, my grandson, and all of my godsons and goddaughters, nieces and nephews, and extended relatives. I give thanks to you, those of you out in the cyber world and through the social network community, to all my family and friends, I thank you for joining us and I give praise to your spirit. Namaste. This evening, we will be continuing reviewing the book titled The African Holistic Health by Dr. Leedlaw O. Africa. Very exciting book here. This is uh, section five, or part five, rather. We've been uh, reviewing the book for the last uh, uh, few days, actually the last five days. And um, this evening's review the section of the book that's dealing with uh, violence and children, beating, hitting, and spanking children. Very interesting uh, topic of discussion. I'm sure those of us from the African, uh, of African descent are very much concerned with the behavior of our children. Not all of them, but a minority within our community who are unfortunately uh, challenged in terms of some of them having to raise themselves, some of them being raised by parents who don't have the parenting skills, in some cases children raising children. And that's another discussion also in terms of 
those of us who are adults who are labeled as being and consider ourselves to be adults are some become sometimes fixated, and this goes across the board with all ethnicities. Uh, it's more exacerbated and more profound within those of African descent because of the issues that we're dealing with in terms of racism and classism and sexism and other isms in terms of our religious orientations and so forth, that we never grow out of a fixed state of consciousness and uh, awareness and intellectual growth from being at least at most teenagers in our behavior and not really rising up to the occasion of being adults. I must say that I myself might be, I consider myself to be a late bloomer in terms of really stepping up to the plate, uh, embracing adulthood from A to Z, from alpha to omega in a very holistic matter. Because it's more than just having a degree and letters behind your name and making a certain salary and bringing, as they say, the bread home, bringing the money home, the check home, and providing material needs for the family. That's one thing that's essential, but then again, the most essential thing that's needed for yourself, starting with yourself and then with your family and community, is spiritual nourishment and spiritual maturity and following that emotional nourishment and emotional maturity and then an intellectual level of awareness to your highest capacity. In each incarnation that you do come back and time and time again to this earth school to learn your lessons, to correct whatever karmic uh, debt you have to correct and, and nullify, and to reach your highest capacity as a spiritual being having a human experience. So what Dr. Africa um, covers within this section of his book of African Holistic Health is that the acts of physical violence against African children is basically a Caucasian socially engineered behavior. It's a seasoned type of behavior. Beatings teach the child that violence is a solution to problems. And beating a child should have a relationship to ma'at, if anything. Beating should connect the child to ma'at, to God, to the Most High. Beating a child is usually done in the same way as Caucasians, however. And beatings connect the child to a Caucasian culture. Beatings usually imitate the slave and the slave-master relationship. The adult is a slave master and the child is a slave. And if the beatings does not define my art, then you shouldn't do it. Historical evidence validates that physical violence was not used by ancient Africans. In fact, Incas, Chinese, Japanese, Indians, Eskimos, and other races of color do not beat children. Even among African headhunters and cannibals, the beating of children was not used for discipline. Spiking or lightly hitting the child to get the attention is needed, i.e. when the child is getting ready to touch a fire or wander into the street or place others in the, in the family or in the group in danger. 
The elder called it slap town or lap time, nurturing Ma'at. The Ma'at social conditions are not available for the child and parents. The beating of children lacks a cultural definition, and the beating of children does not transmit or translate African culture. The elders and the ancestors were, have no involvement in the child's beatings. The child can use the parents' violent beatings as a way to manipulate their parents by behaving or talking disrespectful. And the parent responds to the child's disrespect towards them with the beating. And then the child may then cause the child to feel guilty for lacking control over the parent-child relationship. And the parent subsequently may feel angry and because they lack parenting skills and do not have the social skills needed to control the child, the child can use the parent to guilt or anger at themselves to manipulate the parent into letting them go to a movie, eat pizza, play a computer game, and so forth. Now, I find that I'm living here in Brooklyn, New York, and I remember when I was living in Far Rockaway in Queens and, and um, was on the Broadwalk, I was just taken aback because it was such a tranquil experience walking on the beachfront, and I saw this sister of African descent approaching me with her, with her son. And she was obviously, I could see from about 20, 25 feet away, that she was disciplining her son from the body language. And then I could hear the high-pitched tones in her voice. And as she approached me, I could see that the, the, the child was actually being, you know, terrorized in a sense. It was not able to even cry for that matter. And then the woman, she let out a barrage, a barrage of, of curse words using the F word and MF and, and uh, you know, the B word and, and just a host of, of uh, lower self uh, words that really were very violent and inflictive and indictive and vindictive, rather, that the child started crying. Well, I took it upon myself. For some reason or other, spirit touched me, and, and I just, you know, looked at the woman with a, a – she was younger than I. She was in her 20s, and at that time I was in my, my late 50s, I believe. And um, I told her that perhaps she could find another way, at the risk of her telling me to mind my business and even becoming violent towards me and cursing me out, if not doing more than that. But I said, you know, there comes a time which we really have to either decide, either you want to be part of the solution or part of the problem. And, of course, I don't advocate that anyone do, does, you know, takes this type of uh, action, as it were, that you have to use judgment. And, of course, you know, there is a risk when you get in this type of social interaction. But there comes a time and place, I believe, and the time is now that we have to do whatever we can to turn this around, to turn the behavior around. Uh, I believe that, indeed, if we would refrain from even cursing, for that matter, those of us who regularly communicated with, with words of lower self-orientation, that if you was to take a fast, if you will, go cold turkey for a day, if not for an hour, 
when you're talking to someone. And then eventually from a day to a week, from a week to a month, from months to a year, and then from year, one year, two years, so that we can eliminate the start of the essence of violence. And it even comes before words. It starts with thoughts, thinking evil thoughts to a person, whether it be your spouse, uh, your parents, your siblings, your friends, when you get angry. That should not uh, be part of the exchange within yourself internally and, of course, with those who are in your particular life sharing the journey with you in this sacred uh, gift called life. So she looked at me to get back to the beach experience with the young lady and her child, and she actually showed an expression of contriteness. And she didn't apologize, but she stopped yelling, and she caught herself. She placed herself in check. And I took a deep breath, and I said, yes, yes, yes. You know, my efforts were not in vain. And hopefully that I was able to plant a seed in her consciousness to let her think again before she would at least out in public not treat her child that way. And then, of course, when she's in, in, in private, in a private situation at home with her child or wherever, that she would think twice about talking to her child in such a fashion. And hopefully the ancestors and the angels and guardians would give her the insight, the most high would uh, touch her soul, touch her heart for her to turn that behavior around to being positive and to show love unconditionally in all respects and all regards to her child and children. Now, Dr. Africa goes on to state that all intelligent thinking stops the moment violence begins. Violence is the beginning of social ignorance in solving a problem. He states that the Caucasian practice of beating and violent physical attacks of beating children was and is used because children are considered selfish, have subconscious animalistic traits, have deep evilness in their soul, and or have need to have sex with the parent or have a violent nature. And in this, he's talking about what uh, Freudian coming from behaviorists and uh, so-called uh, uh, Gestalt psychological analysis, which Freud, Sigmund Freud, and, and a host of other uh, psycho psychiatrists psychologists deemed uh, the Oedipus complex, which is uh, an uh, explanation of uh, the son having an unhealthy relationship or desire for his mother in terms of the um, perverted expression of love, even to the point of wanting to have sex with the mother, and then the Electra complex with the daughter ha having this type of uh, relationship and attraction towards the father. And that's coming from a European perspective, as it were. Purely mental and not from a spiritual perspective, from an Afrocentric perspective. Perspectives. So while in the African culture, children are considered endowed with the spirit of the ancestors and striving to achieve godliness, and they are subsequently raised to reach their highest level of humanism and mirror the villagers' soul, and God's property. 
the future of the village and Ma'at, and subsequently in African culture, violent attacks upon a child was considered a violent attack to destroy the culture, God, Ma'at, ancestors, spirit, society, tribe, and individual. Child abuse, beatings, and sexual abuse, minors watch or listen to pornographic R-rated videos and or movies perpetrated upon black children by black adults is justified by excuses and rationales. For example, one of the popular excuses for beating a child is the saying, spare the rod and you spoiled the child. The rod is misinterpreted to mean a stick, spanking, or physical beating. Historically, the rod or scepter referred to in this saying is the divining rod or staff of a shepherd. The rod is a symbol of authority. The rod was not used to beat the sheep. The rod was used to guide the sheep. The rod is a symbol of the ultimate authority, that being God. The guiding force is Ma'at. The rod is symbol of God and of Ma'at. In other words, do not spare Ma'at or the spirituality of God, or else the child will perish and be spoiled. A rod was believed to be guided by God, and parents without adequate parenting skills or the village support can physically violent can be physically violent with children and use fists, switches, baseball bats, shoes, belts, hollering, verbal abuse, screaming, cursing, and threatening a child with torture and violent punishments. The slave master beating the slaves did not, slap, did not stop slave revolts. In any case, the sparing of the rod meant to ignore God's written, and cause, written word and wisdom and cause the child to de- decay and spoil. The nonviolent civil rights movement of the 1960s was used to teach love, justice, harmony, democracy, peace, and understanding to Caucasians. However, blacks used violence in their male-female relationships and beat their children. Blacks were teaching their children to solve black problems with violence and white problems with nonviolence. Beating children must stop and alternative solutions used, the culture, Ma'at spirituality and the control of rewards and punishments and shaming the child can be used in place of beatings. Only take away awards for specific behaviors. Do not tell the child they are bad. Tell the child the behavior was bad. Take away a reward as punishment. The child is not the sum total of bad behaviors. And many unacceptable behaviors were learned from the parent and medias. Correcting the child means to correct a parenting skill. Punishment of the child can be taken away uh, by taking away privileges, i.e. CDs, videos, television, uh, cell phones in this matter, playtime, and a host of other things that you know the child is attached to and loves to use or have in their possession. I must state that uh, my experience as a child was rather traumatic in terms of my stepfather meeting my mother when I was about two years of age. 
And, of course, we all know about what they call the terrible twos and terrible threes. And then, of course, if the mother is raising the boy by himself, the baby boy by himself, or herself, rather, uh, there is even more of an attachment because she's playing the part, at least attempting to play the part of the mother and the father. And if she doesn't have support of the family, of the village, as it were, then, of course, it is an arduous task. So he developed a relation with her, and while he um, was a, a stand-up guy during the day as a barber and cutting hair of all the jazz artists who uh, performed at the, uh, at the Apollo, giving them their straight marceau, uh, what they call the straightening of the hair, and, and uh, it was a whole immaculate and elegant uh, ritual that went on in these barbershops back then especially amongst the jazz musicians and so-called hustlers and, and those who were in the game, as it were. But at night, he used heroin. He didn't mainline it, but he, he, he snorted it and uh, sold it to people who did mainline. And, of course, his karma was very much challenged. He had a lot of negative karmic debt. But he had another problem in terms of how to show love and, and how to be a father and, and, a, and a husband, at least a stepfather and a common-law husband because they didn't marry officially. In those days, you didn't have to necessarily get married uh, legally, as it were, with papers and what have you, with a certificate. So his way of disciplining me was to uh, not just spike but punch me and and this manhandled me, as, as it were, because of the fact that I would defend my mother against him from him being abusive to her mentally, uh, emotionally, verbally, and physically, to the point that I began to develop a stutter and wet the bed and, and a host of other dysfunctions in terms of experiencing uh, what might be classified as post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, he would go away and get arrested and come back after a year or two or more, and then it would start over again. And during those intervals, we managed, I managed to still go to school and to get educated and, and to, uh, you know, help my mother with my siblings as they become, as they came into the world. I was the first one born, and, and I, I have uh, one sister. I had two. My oldest sister under me passed away uh, last year bless her soul. So I have two brothers and one sister younger than me, and I helped my mother to raise them. And during that uh, experience, my mother became addicted. And as a result, not to get into any more detail right now, um, that will be in the book that I'm, I'm writing, uh, but she uh, was not able to take care of us adequately, and eventually we wound up in a and uh, a shelter and a group home. At least I did. And then my two, my one brother, actually the youngest one wasn't born yet. One brother went to a, uh, a he was adopted. I'm sorry, he went to a uh, a foster home. And then uh, my uh, two sisters uh, went to uh, their aunts to live with their aunts down south. So I'm sure my experience was not unique. And uh, I found that out after 
living in the in the group home, boarding school, a place in the Bronx called Woodycrest. I happen to have actually had the experience of making some very significant, uh, very uh, close friendships, spiritual uh, friendships with brothers and sisters who I grew up with there. One of them being uh, Brother Abby Ardoon Oyewoli from the original Last Poets. And he and I uh, stay in contact, and we had some projects that we were doing. We did one previously, recorded a CD titled Connections. If you go to YouTube, you would just uh, YouTube Connections and Baba Wesley Gray and Abby Odun Oyewoli, and that should come up. And and with uh, Brother Tyrone Jefferson, one of the um, original um, JPs, or JBs, with the uh, Godfather Son James Brown, we uh, collaborated and produced that CD, uh, featuring even um, Carla Cook, a Grammy-nominated nom- jazz singer. And um, and also Emir Baraka is on. He's not on the CD. I mean, he's on the CD, but not on the video. Emir Baraka was involved with the project. But uh, not to digress any further. Indeed, there are those of us in our community, and I know that there's many of you who are adults, like I am, and and um, who've had this this type of experience. And of course you know that that you can get beyond that and heal from it. And if not, it helps to connect with people like myself who've had similar experiences so that you can communicate and, and be in contact with like-minded uh, people who've arise above those challenges. And then, of course, those who you observe in your community and family who are younger than you are, you should outreach to them and do whatever it is possible to help them to get well and to behave in a fashion that is more spiritual than not, and to display love in a more healthy fashion, as it were. And if they need help, to seek the help, either through a spiritual orientation, through their uh, religious um, uh, community, or to seek a professional counseling with the African-centered modality of spirituality and psychological um, treatment. So, indeed, you take away those things that the child has a yearning for and, um, and hold back from any indication, any inclination, rather, of using corporal punishment. Now, this next section titled Smoking and Children, and Dr. Africa goes on to share with us that the question being, is smoke, that being smoke that comes from tobacco and marijuana, as an example, is that a natural food for the body? And of course, the answer is no. The human body was not designed for the inhalation of smoke in the lungs. The lungs are only anatomically structured to inhale clean, unpolluted air. The cancer-causing and mold-altering drugs are in droplet form in the smoke, and the burning of tobacco and and or marijuana creates a drug, and that drug is fire, heat, and creates the synthetic poisonous chemical combined 
with the transor synthetic drug. And smoking in the presence of a child is child abuse. Now, I must go back to say also, when I grew up in, in, in Whittycrest, when I was uh, spending the years of I was going on about five, almost six years in Whittycrest, that there was a brother by the name of James Blake who made quite an impression on me. As a matter of fact, he was the one that introduced myself and Abby Adun and a host of other brothers and sisters, but mainly myself and, and Dune, to a recording titled Drums of Passion by Baba Alatunji, Michael Patrice Alatunji. And that experience actually changed my life as a young man. When he, I, I, I began to listen to that recording, to that album at the time. We were in camp upstate Bear Mountain, and that just had such an impression upon me that I began to realize that I was indeed an African, that I had African blood in me, that I wasn't a hybrid, as it were. Because up until then, I only saw pictures of Africa via the, the movies of Tarzan and Mighty Joe Young and, and, and King Kong. I had been bamboozled, like many of us, millions of us actually, here in the Western Hemisphere of the African diaspora. And that was the beginning of the change. And Brother James Blake, uh, he was older than I was, uh, we were rather, and he was a counselor, junior counselor, the last year that he was with us in Woody Crest, and became an upstanding uh, brother was awarded a scholarship at one of the uh, black-owned colleges. I'm not sure. I think it might have been Howard University. And uh, obtained his degrees and started working within the New York City um, uh, school system as a uh, dean. I think it was CUNY, if not SUNY, college, and then became a professor. And he's been uh, a, a, a upstanding and committed activist within our community and spiritual uh, leader and intellectual. He and his wife, both uh, Dr. Betsy Blake and Dr. James Blake, have made an impression upon my life, and I'm grateful for them. But uh, one of the things that I, I learned was that we have to support one another and reach out to each other and uplift each other. And that's something that we were able to do, uh, those of us who grew up together in Woody Crest. And we continue to do that. I'm looking forward to having him and his wife as, as guests on our show within the near future. So uh, dealing with the smoking in children, going back to that, the, uh, the kind of forced smoking is, child abuse and is also a crime and is destructive to the child's health. And passive smoking is indirect and drugs in the smoke have a higher cancerous content of toxins and tar. The thick only tar contains drugs and is addicting. The thick oily tar contains drugs and is addicting. And ironically, 
the tobacco companies lowered the tar in the cigarette. And this has caused smokers to smoke more cigarettes in order to reach the drug level that they use to get from the tar drug of one cigarette. The drugs and smoke weaken the lungs, liver, kidneys, skin, uh, immunity system, and destroy vitamin C. And also the smoke from a single cigarette destroys the vitamin C content of the average orange. And as we know, vitamin C is vital in protecting the child against diseases. Smoke also deprives the child and the adult skin of clean air, oxygen, and this causes premature aging. The chemicals in smoke aggravate asthmatic and allergic um, reaction in children. It irritates the sensitive mucous membrane, the inner skin surface of the nose, and children have an immature, immature system, as it were, and smoking is twice as destructive to the child. So we're talking about secondhand smoke here. And a lot of parents do not realize that. They, they even have those who will open up the window of the car thinking that it's going to go out the car and even open up the windows in the house rather than go outside. And then, of course, all of this is lingering on the, on the adult when they pick up the baby and they wonder what happens to the child when the child becomes sick with all types of illnesses. And uh, the chemicals in the smoking cause skip heartbeats, population, palpitation of the heart, nervousness, rapid heart rates, paralysis of, of the cilia, the hair and the lungs, toxins are absorbed, dizziness, shortness of breath, headaches from the rises of blood pressure, and pains of distress over the front of the chest. And smoke decreases circulation to the hands, feet, and legs, the nicotine causes the veins to constrict the clothes and, and thus limits the blood flow to the heart, sex organs, and other vital organs. So the, the female passive smoker undergoes menopause at a younger age, and children learn by example. They imitate adult behavior, and historically, the original smoke eaters, the nicotine drug addicts, were Caucasians, and blacks who are nicotine drug smokers are socially conditioned engineered and seasoned to do so. The non-smoking adults and children can be partially protected from smoke by using high-efficiency particle, air, HEPA filter to uh, the electronic uh, precipitator, the air cleaners, which can also remove a few of the cancerous chemicals. But the immunity can be protected from smoke with supplements such as uh, vitamin A, C, E, B1, and B6, and a host of other um, uh, vitamins, such as uh, echinacea, psyllium, B. pulpuris, zinc, alkaline minerals, and, and on and on, which I'm going to cover at future shows and get more in detail. But I know that my smoking started, when, again, when I was in, in Woodycrest in the, um, the group home boarding school, because the counselors, they smoked. And they gave us an allowance, uh, those of us who worked in the kitchen or in the dining room, uh, I think it might have to $15 per month. And we would go to the canteen, which is right under the, the cafeteria, and buy cigarettes and sodas and potato chips and other types of junk food that we should not have been eating. So uh, 
Right. Well, thank God that many of us were able to wake up and and not continue to be duped into leading a lifestyle that was destructive in terms of uh, smoking and drinking and eating foods that are not healthy for us. All right, I'm going to take a short break right now, and we'll be back. We will be back momentarily, so please stay tuned. athletes are raving about. Chiavita is a unique blend of premium exotic fruits and botanicals like the acai berry that is called the wine of the Amazon in Brazil, and yerba mate, which is something like of a green tea. And all this is called, um, actually the yerba mate is called the beverage of the gods. And from Brazil, within the Brazilian rainforest, which is the national drink of four South African countries. This drink is designed to enhance whole body wellness, to bolster the immune system, to quickly increase energy, and to support weight management by boosting metabolism and controlling appetite, and it assists in leveling one's blood sugar, just to mention a few of the benefits. Within minutes of drinking just one or two ounces, Chiavita delivers a surge of smooth, sustained energy that lasts for hours, not minutes along with greater mental clarity and focus and a feeling of calmness and well-being, Chiavita is an energy surge without the sugar rush, without the infinitra, without the jitters, and without the crash and burn and harmful side effects that many other products produce. Chiavita is an all-natural, delicious, functional health beverage that most people feel results from the very first time that they try it, and subsequently, they want to drink it over and over again. Even though people consistently drink for the immediate benefits, the amazing thing is that the longer someone drinks Cheetah Via, the more improvement they notice in their overall health. For more information, go to www.healthisalwayswealth.com. I repeat, that's healthisalwayswealth.com or call 888-338-2508. Again, that's 888-338-2508.
Okay, I'm back and I thank you for holding on. I must add that I'm not a medical doctor and am not here to recommend any treatments or make any diagnosis. And what I am here to do is to share information about the health practices which my family and I engage in and which work for us, such as my consumption of Chia Vida. I suggest that before trying anything new that you consult with a licensed medical practitioner. And that being said, I would like to just encourage you again to visit my site at healthisalwayswealth.com to get more information about Chia Vida. I also sell drums at my website, which is at drumsofchange.com. And the book that I'm reviewing, uh, African Holistic Health, and other books that I review on my show can be purchased at my site as well. Again, that's drumsofchange.com. You will find a uh, on the menu um, portion of the website, there's a drug, I'm sorry, a bookstore that you can purchase the books from, as well as a drum store. And on that site as well, there's videos, educational and entertainment videos that I'm sure that you will be delighted to see and hear. Now, I'd like to just go over a book that I also reviewed in the past um, and involved, well, to delve into the area in terms of uh, how we treat our children and, and how a healthy African community uh, interacts with one another and supports one another. And this is coming from the book titled The Healing Wisdom of Africa by Dr. Malodoma Patrice Somme. Dr. Malodoma Patrice Somme happens to have been a guest of my wife and I um, back in 2010. He came to our home and spent about five days with us, and we were just so humbled and, and honored to have him as a house guest. And um, we learned quite a bit from him about his people in Bukuna Fusa in West Africa, which is right next to, uh, I think, to Ghana. And I haven't gone to Africa yet, but I, that's on my uh, itinerary, my list. Uh, within the next 24 months, I'm looking forward to going to West Africa and perhaps uh, Pakuna Fasa uh, at Manodomi's village will be the first place that I will visit. Uh, what he shares with us about the, the village community that there are elaborate greeting rituals ending with paying homage to the ancestral altar. And that reveals something of the customs and the values governing the village as a community. The village is organized as a commonwealth under the guidance and supervision of the ancestors, whose laws must be carefully followed to avoid trouble. And one of the overreaching structures of the village is the clan. And in the village, every person belongs to a clan that is named after one of the elements of the cosmology. And thus we have water people, fire people, earth people, mineral people, and nature people. And these will be explored more deeply in the chapters that follow this book, he states. But each group has a, a keeper or a chief, and the chief of all chiefs is the head of the earth group. The chief remains a chief until he dies. Then he is succeeded by someone else in the family. And the criteria for the succession is not clear. Shamans take care of it in divinations. 
the entire structure is divide, divided along gender lines, allowing male groups to be separate from female groups. And thus, the ultimate power base is the council of elders, female and male. And usually, there are five of them corresponding to the five groups. The responsibility of each chief is to maintain the shrine of the group as well as to ensure that crises are handled the proper way. And each time a crisis occurs within the two people, it is resolved by ritual in the presence of everyone else and only after it has been examined through divination to ensure that it is just a conflict and not something deeper affecting more people like a plague. The parties involved in the conflict come together in an ash circle, and they sit facing each other, and the defendant listens to the story of the accuser first. The accuser speaks about how the action of the other made him or her feel, and the crowd led by the chief guides the two parties along. The whole crisis usually ends up looking like an unpleasant misunderstanding and the two opponents become friends with the applause of everyone who's witnessing. Of course, things may not always work out like this. It may be that the crisis, because it has been simmering for a long time, does not cool off in the circle of ash. And at this point, healers are brought in to make an offering to the ancestors so that they can tune up the energies of the two parties in order to allow for a healing ash circle. So a failed ash circle ritual means that healers have done a, have a job to do and to reduce the heat between the two people before they meet again should none of this work it shows that one of the parties is not doing his part at such time the chiefs of all the elements will deliver their warnings to the renegade party making him or her responsible for the lingering of the crises now, these crisis resolutions are gender-specific. In other words, there is a women's court and a men's court, but there is also ample room for a cross-gender court, and most of the time this court will be used by couples facing the delicate responsibility of keeping their relationship pure by working out the conflicts that rise between them. In Africa, people's welfare and rights are safeguarded by the ancestors, and it is the ancestors who ultimately punish wrongdoing by sending trouble or illness, even death, to the transgressor. When trouble comes, the diviners inquire as to the reason and are able to determine which of the ancestral laws has been broken. In this way, abuses are corrected and people are given an opportunity to make amends and turn their lives around. He goes on to say that, I recall a time when this process caught up with me. I was involved in a car accident, which turned out to have been sent by the ancestors to prevent me from interfering in the process of growth for my uncle. My uncle was very sick and was being treated in the home of a healer, and his disease was debilitating him to the point that he had the loss and use of many of his physical abilities. We had been close for years, Maladoma states, and upon hearing that I had returned home, my uncle sent a messenger with the request that I give him a ride back to his own home for a few days. And I was happy to be of service to a person experiencing great suffering. 
The next morning, after very little sleep, I dashed off in a car on the dusty path between villages. And after a few minutes, I lost control of the car. And the next thing I knew, the car and I had rolled over. I was shaken by the accident and wondered what it meant and what it might mean, rather. And he states that shamans, upon hearing the news of the accident, performed divinations to find the cause, and their inquiries revealed some disturbing news. According to the ancestors, I should have checked with them to learn why my uncle was sick before running to his aid. His sickness, they said, was a punishment for the violation of family laws, and therefore I could be of no help to him. And apparently, more than 20 years earlier, my uncle had treated others in the village quite savagely, creating a lot of upset by being brutal and refusing to sit in ash circles to heal the conflicts that he had created. He had been warned of his actions many times, but they had taken place so long ago that most people, including him, had forgotten about the abuses. Yet, now, late in his life, when he had softened and changed his ways, his, sister, his sentence was being met, meted out to him. In the eyes of the ancestors, a log does not become a crocodile by staying immersed long enough underwater. It was quite upset, I was quite upset, Maladoma says, by the incident. And because the accident could have killed me, angrily, I wondered why no one had told me what was appropriate in the, in the situation. He'd had no idea that a simple human gesture of help, especially towards a family member, should have required a divination. What the experience taught him is that the Dagara culture is changing and that what was once obvious, such as when gestures of support are appropriate, are no longer as clear. And these changes gradually seem to separate and isolate the individual from the rest of the community. And what I also took from the incident was respect for the way that the community must have co cohered in earlier years. Even now, the method of appealing to ancestors for guidance had unearthed abuses long, uh, buried long ago in people's memories, and they were no longer visible. The indigenous method of bringing to light the roots of conflict and illness through communicating with the spirit world created a coherent and effective circle of support for individuals. Rights were safeguarded and conflicts were resolved with the help of the ancestors' spirits. Healing of illnesses and conflict could take place precisely because the community was defined as including not only human beings, but also the spirits of the ancestors, whose vision is broader than that of humans. And now we have the modern search for community. Since coming to the West, Maladoma states that he's found that, that modern people long for fulfilling connections that are available through a healthy community. The sense of connection and coherence that he had experienced in village life. And the cry for community is everywhere. As Carolyn Schaefer and Christine Amundsen point out in their ambitious detailed book, Creating Community Anywhere, Americans have defined themselves in terms of individual freedom, a people breaking away from old limiting structures, dogmas, attitudes, and pushing towards a new frontier. 
but with every gain there is a loss. Community is a term that is so familiar to people in the West and yet so hard to achieve. Community on the move from city to city, from often separated from one's family by geographical distance, and commonly losing primary relationships such as marriage to the ravages of separation, Westerners often find themselves relying solely upon themselves. Their distraction of choice of their therapists to manage the crisis of daily living, and meanwhile, their psyches crave belonging in a community with others where they know they will find healing once and for all. So the urge for community in the West is challenged by the tendency to see community as antithetical and even a threat to individuality. And many modern people believe that community absorbs the dignity and integrity of the individual and threatens to kill the much-cherished sense of self. The truth is that one doesn't lose oneself as a result of being part of the community. On the contrary, being in community leads to a healthy sense of belonging, greater generosity, better distribution of resources, and a greater awareness of the needs of the self and the other. In community, the needs of the one are the needs of the many. In community, one does not worry excessively about one's intimate relationships because you are not left to confront your problems alone. In such a context, people are not encouraged to be on the run every day, chasing survival. In this way, because being of a strong community strengthens one's individuality by supporting the expression and enjoyment of one's unique gifts and talents. Individuality, not individualism, is the cornerstone of community. Individuality is synonymous with uniqueness. And this means that a person and his or her unique gifts, gifts are irreplaceable. The community loves to see all of its members flourish and function in optimum potential. In fact, a community can flourish and survive only when each member flourishes and living in the full potential of her or his purpose to honor and support its members, its members is in the self-interest of any community. Now, there's also this other aspect of welcoming the children into the community. And Maladoma goes on to state that in his village, the people give special attention to the unique potential of each individual, the purpose that each person the purpose that each person comes into the world to nurture and to make that spirit blossom. And in order for the community to function in a way that encourages the blossoming of his individuals, indigenous people make every birth a village event where the newborn is welcomed by all. And Maladoma goes on to state that he still has vivid images of the most recent birthing ritual that he attended in his village. The young mother was in labor. All afternoon, it was walked around by a group of old women who chanted softly into her ear. The labor must have been very hard on the woman, since she did appear to be in great pain and uninterested in the singing. Yet, the songs being sung to her were quite beautiful. They sounded like a litany involving genealogy, 
ancestors' names were uttered, one after another. Then the woman chanted further, and he realized that everything was being said directly to the newborn. Among the most captivating statements were, you have come into a crossroads. The light you see in front of you is the light of the village that awaits you. Another woman said, run, run, run to the gate and do not waste time because mommy is in pain. Yet another woman said, our great mothers said the walk home used to feel exhausting, but when they found out what was waiting for them at home, they forgot the pain of homecoming. We have sweet grass and honey awaiting your arrival. Sweet blossom ripe with food and love in a hurry to be with you, as they said that to the unborn child. At that moment, the laboring woman stopped her pacing. Everyone stopped along with her. The song shifted in, steam, in theme. rather. It went back to genealogy and stories of valor, then quickly turned into a song of identity. An elder was asking if the unborn remembered what was said a long time ago when he first came into his mother's womb. The verses were meant to be a reminder to the reason why he should be eager for birth. For the entire afternoon and until dark, five women gathered and walked into the mother, walked with the mother, singing to her unborn all the time. And at the time of delivery, the song stopped and the women busied themselves in, in other work. And meanwhile, children gathered close by waiting for the big moment. And that big moment came when the newborn screamed. And simultaneously, a loud noise bursting out of a dozen children like a tidal wave drowned the screechy sound coming out of the tiny mouth of the newborn. And then everything became quiet. One of the old women said, this is a grandfather. That's a grandfather. Look at how he stares at everything. Mother and child were united on the spot and escorted into a dark room where they would remain hidden for the next 72 hours. Miles Dolan goes on to say that he thought to himself that the scream of the newborn had something of a question in it. It was like a signal sent out by the newcomer to see if he had arrived at the right place. The sound most similar to a newborn scream is the sound of children, which is why children in my village are required to cry out in confirmation of a newborn's arrival. And this confirmation satisfies something in the psyche of the newborn, who is now ready to surrender to being present in the world. He goes on to state that he had often wondered what would happen to the newborn if there was no answer. Can infants recover from the damage done to their souls as a result of a message at birth that they were on their own? Throughout the children's life in the village, there is a strong message that they belong to a community of people who value them almost beyond anything else. It starts with the grandparents participant, and it starts when the grandparents participate in the birthing and are the first to hold the newborn because the newborn is considered a villager who has just arrived from a long trip that started in the land of the ancestors. The people most recognizable to them are the old ones, 
grandparents look pretty much like those who were left behind. Another reason for the presence of the elderly is that having just arrived, the newborn shares with the grandparents a close proximity to the other world. Naturally, as a result of that, they bond together. This relationship between grandparents and children is enacted periodically in the public while the rest of the village watches. On a sunny afternoon, the village gathers in three distinct groups. The first is a group of elders or grandparents. The second consists of children and grandchildren. The third group is made up of the remaining villagers, the adults. And the grandparents are seated each on a stool at one tight, straight row, dressed in their better clothing, and the children are posted some 60 to 90 feet away, and someone intones a song, and everyone, including the children, begins to sing. But the kids, as they sing, run toward the row of elders, each one selecting a grandparent and focusing an eye on him or her while singing and running. And as the song ends, these children crashed into the laps of their chosen grandparent. Each collisions are mild, and others are more rough, but the overall impact is sweet and loving. And after the crash, the children, the children return to their positions and start all over again. Each time a crash results in the fall to the ground of the elder and child, and they are out of the game. If after the third time for boys, and the fourth time for girls, there is no fall, then the child must switch to a different elder. At first, this ritual play while singing praise to the great mothers and fathers may not be understandable. It is not a competition, yet everyone looks forward to the crash, and everyone is happy whether there is a fall or not. Very rarely does a grandparent fall as a direct result of a grandchild jumping on him or her. The interesting thing is that the bonding that it permits and the fact that it becomes a subject of talk long after it is over, and gradually children don't distinguish between different grandparents. Every old person comes to be known as grandpa or grandma, reinforcing the idea to the general party that follows the crashing ritual, which the entire village takes part in. And here, each child dances with the grandparent while everyone spurs them on with great excitement. And the party with the, the very old and the very young is very exciting to watch. And these examples suggest what is required for the maintenance and the growth of the community is not corporate altruism or a government program, but a village-like atmosphere that allows people to drop their makes, to drop their masks, rather, and to a sense of community that grows where behavior is based on trust and where one has to hide, no one has to hide anything. And there are certain human powers that cannot be unleashed without such a supportive atmosphere, powers such as one that enables us to believe in ancestors, to believe in our ability to unlock potentials in ourselves and others far beyond what is commonly known when an individual feels connected to an entire community, and this connection can extend far beyond the living world, this suggests that a healthy connection with one another will spill over into a connection with the ancestors and with nature. And similarly, the struggle to connect in this world would extend itself 
to the other world. Tomorrow I will continue uh, juxtaposing and combining the two books uh, from Dr. Africa titled The African Holistic Health and Dr. Maladoma Some, The Healing Wisdom of Africa. Very exciting. Uh, I'm sure you would agree this is very exciting reading material, philosophy and insight, spirituality. And I just want to add, though, that in our community, we have a, a epidemic within our community with our children, especially amongst our young men. And uh, I campaigned for uh, President uh, Barack Obama and supported his, his, uh, his uh, campaign and efforts to become the first man of African descent to become the President of the United States back in 2008. As a matter of fact, I played the African uh, djembe drum at his inauguration. And if you go to my site, drumsofchange.com, and you will see a video, a YouTube video, uh, of myself drumming at his inauguration and performing in an impromptu drum circle. Not necessarily to honor him, but to honor the ancestors, again, within a community of activists that I came to Washington, D.C. In, in three buses from Jersey City. And uh, you will find out why I did it what I have to say about the drum, and brief fast forward, I, my intent is that to uh, follow the suggestion by the late Ozzie Davis that every household of African descent should have a drum, an African drum, and a designated drummer, so that we can go back to our rituals that our ancestors practiced before we came here some, as a group of people some 400 years ago to go back, Sankofa, to go back to where we were, those healthy uh, practices and rituals and communal engagements that were healthy and sustaining for us as a family, as a, as a community. So I encourage all of you, you don't have to purchase from my website, your local uh, drum store, African drum store, or on any on internet, but if you're going to do it through internet, uh, uh, portal uh, platform, I suggest that you go to my uh, website at drumsofchange.com to purchase a drum. Some of them are prices as low as uh, $29, including shipping, and all of them are manufactured by expert artisans, craftsmen, and women from West Africa, primarily Nigeria, Ghana, and Senegal. So, yes, indeed. Uh, I hope that I, I was able to share with you uh, information and knowledge from the two books that we reviewed. And I do this, of course, for those of you who are not able to read uh, for whatever reason, for poor eyesight and are just not having the, the, the capacity to read. Um, those of you who would like to access the archives so that indeed you can listen to this at your leisure. Um, on your phone, your smartphone, through your PC, your computer. I'm facilitating that area of need. And, of course, those of you who cannot access the purchase of these books, if not immediately, if not ever, 
now you have information from these books that hopefully will inspire you and educate you and indeed remind you, because all this knowledge is subduedly within our uh, consciousness, as it were. So, again, I thank you for tuning in, and as always, I end by giving praise to the One Most High. I bid thee farewell. Hotep, namaste. Assalamu alaikum, shalom. All my relations, alafia. Peace and love to you all, and may you have a continued joyful and restful evening and a prosperous day to come, and I look forward to you tuning in again tomorrow evening.